0: Thanks, Josh, and Sarah, and Eboy. It's very nice to have someone leading us in worship together, and that is something um, that I think we take for granted, like we do a lot of things. So uh, I came down, I can't remember when it was now, maybe Saturday, yesterday, and uh, they were down practicing and it must have been ten degrees in here, and uh, I really appreciated the service and the dedication to come down and prepare so we could enjoy worship. And it was extra special this morning with Eboy on the bongo. That was so good. Thank you for doing that. And okay, it's nice to be back. You know, I've been doing the the preaching circuit. Been down at uh, a number of different places. I was down at Lake Tabs last week, and I really enjoyed being able to communicate with them, connect up with them. They have a wonderful church, and they're going through some issues, and so they needed somebody to, to fill in. But it's nice to be back, and so for the foreseeable future, at least, I'm going to be up here more frequently. Hopefully, that's a good thing for you. It is for me. I like it. Um. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have a three-part kind of Christmas Advent series. I don't know if you saw what went out online, but basically it's titled, This Baby They Named Jesus. And the passage we'll be using for all three sermons will be Luke 2, 8 through 11. So this week we're going to be looking at What were they expecting? And I'm going to go through that with you and talk to you about what expecting means and who the they are and the what. And we're going to be looking at a number of things about what, what are our expectations, what were their expectations, and who exactly were they expecting to come on this Christmas day. The next week, next Sunday, we'll be looking at who was he really who was this baby they named jesus and then on christmas day which hopefully you guys will still come we're going to be talking about and why did he come and so there are a number of those things that are going to apply each week, and you know, today there will be some things that I would probably speak of if this was a one-message sermon, but since there are things about who he is and why he came, we're going to be passing some of those things off. So today, we'll be looking at what were they expecting, or, subtitle, I love it when pastors do this, Remaking the Messiah in Our Own Image. So we look at Christmas... and it's got a message of hope, right? The the message of hope of Christmas. How many of you love Christmas? I I love it. I I love this time of year. I love all the get. How many of you have had those stuff that you normally do already happen? So we had our family, we have a family thing we do every year last night where we all get together and we have this white elephant gift, gift exchange, and we, we bring everybody potlucks, and we bring food, and, and we have this little gift exchange. We play games together in our fa- with our family, and, and that one's pretty much most of the time just my mom and, and the siblings and their spouses, and so we had that. It was a wonderful time last night. Um, how many of you like Christmas movies? What's your favorite? Die Hard. <laughs> okay, perfect example. What else? Elf, okay. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful, that's my favorite right there. It's a wonderful life. I can relate to George Bailey. Okay. And we say that every year, and, and I think, yeah, man. Um, okay. <laughs> Does anybody really want to relate to George Bailey? Um, anything else? What's your favorite Christmas movie? Christmas Story. Christmas Story. Christmas Story, that's one. So we have a tradition Christmas story. We're going to be doing it this week. We get together... We buy Chinese food, and we watch Christmas Story together on the compound, the Henley compound. So that's coming up on Thursday this week for us, because that's, a, okay. Now, the common thing about all of those, not a one of them has anything to do with Jesus. I love them. I love all of those. I watch them all, okay? But it doesn't have anything to do with the reason for the hope that we have at Christmas time. And so, Christmas time is a time of hope, but also a time of tragedy. We're going to look at that tragedy, and I'm going to try to do some things. I'm going to try to show you the tragedy of Christmas. Gosh, Tim, what a Debbie Downer. Yes, the tragedy of Christmas then, when he first came, and the tragedy of Christmas today. But what can we learn from that? What can we today learn from the tragedy of missing the hope of Christmas or remaking the Messiah in our own image? Again, I'm not really trying to be a downer. Um, but, but think, think of this. What if there was something that was absolutely the most important thing that life could ever have, ever, and you missed it? What if there was just, just one thing I had to get right to secure my eternal destiny, and I got it wrong? Uh, Ron had put out a post on, um. I think it was Facebook, could have been something else, might have been just an email that he sent out, but he said, you guys out there that are preaching, when you're looking for an illustration, I know it's tempting to find stuff in the world, but you know what, the Bible's full of them. Try to find one in there, so I'm going to find one in there. 4,000 some years ago or more, about 4,500 years ago it looks like from history, According to the math, based on how long people were living, there were about 750 million people on earth, about 4,500 years ago. And then God had said to one guy, evil is really prevalent, I am going to redo things. And I'm going to flood the world. And I would like you to make a boat. So for about a hundred years, Noah faithfully built a boat. And at his off hours, and I don't know how many off hours he had, because I went through the, the ARC project back there and saw the scope of what this thing actually looked like, and I'm thinking, man, even a hundred years, this guy is probably working two shifts every day. It's amazing how big that thing was. But he must have had some help, and God was helping him there and bringing him craftsmen maybe. But, so, but he was also preaching to those around him, doom is coming. Doom is coming. God has told me, I am going to destroy this world and all these people unless they repent. And here is the answer. And it's this huge thing in my backyard. Now, I saw the ark. It could hold a few, but it couldn't hold 750 million. And so God already knew that, guess what? Noah was going to preach about 90 years And get a church that were eight people and they were all his family. What was the expectation? What do you think the expectation was of the people that Noah was preaching to? There's one thing you gotta get right. Before the day, get on the boat. There's one thing, you miss this one thing. 750 million people expected that things were going to go on just like they were. Then the rain started. And Noah shut the door with eight people inside and a bunch of animals. And it cost them their lives because they were expecting something different than the reality of the word and truth of God. And so here we are and we're at this Christmas time and, and we see the world and it's nicer, it's great, you know, even the world, everybody, most of the people, I mean, I know there are some people that Christmas time, maybe they've gone through a family tragedy or there's been something, you know, and, and it's, or they had a really difficult upbringing and Christmas time is not a good time for them. I'm sorry if that's you. I really am. I mean, I'm really sorry if that's you. Because even in, in the world, um, people are nicer, right? I mean, I mean you, you, Chris, the Christmas spirit. And, 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 we, and we get together, and, and most of the families get together, and they have fun family stuff, and it's all nice, and people smile at you before they give you the one-finger salute on the highway. Everybody just seems to be a little better. But so what? So what if they miss the Messiah? It's nice to have Christmas, um, you know, and, and, and sometimes we as Christians, we get all uppity and say, we've got to get the Christ back in Christmas. He's in my Christmas. He's never going to be in the world's Christmas. Uh, how many of you celebrate the birthday of Muhammad? Or his death, or his life? Why? Because he's not relevant to me, because I don't believe in him, because I don't believe he has the truth, because I don't believe he has the way. That's what the world thinks about this guy we call Jesus. So if you miss the one thing that matters, the tragedy is that you lose it all. That's the tragedy of Christmas, because it is the beginning of the hope of the only thing that matters. Jesus Christ came as a baby, as a man, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, paying the penalty for all of our sins, rose again on the third day, went to be with the Father in heaven, is our advocate with with God, and is coming again to reclaim his own and restore everything back that is the hope of Christmas that is what this baby Jesus coming to this world where the God man becomes that becomes the God man fully God and fully man that is the hope of Christmas but if you miss that it's tragic so what we're going to look at first is this question what were they expecting so we look at the word expecting, what does that mean? And I think, well, just let me give you the um, a strong belief that something should or will happen in the future, either positive or negative. How many of you have had expectations? like Like the people in the world... When, when the flood was coming, their expectation was hey, everything's just gonna go on the way it always has, and, and we're just gonna keep doing what we're doing because this guy Noah, like, what are you thinking, buddy? I mean, what are you thinking? You're building this huge thing in your backyard. It's never rained. You're an idiot. And we were expecting everything to go on, but we, what were they expecting? And, and so, I'm going to change the word of even the, the, the question a little bit because expectation means you're expecting a particular outcome or you're expecting an outcome in the future, either positive or negative. You can have negative expectations, right? I know if I do this, this is bad. It's going to happen. I did it. And it's, but, but what we're really talking about here is positive expectations. E- e- even those that missed it had positive expectations. So probably a better word is what were they hoping for? Okay, so hope It is has two different connotations here. Um, I have hope is a what in grammar? It's a noun, it's a noun. This is pretty basic grammar guys. Um, and if I am hoping for something, what is that? It's a verb. Okay, so having hope means I have an expectation and a desire that there will be a positive outcome, a positive outcome of some kind in the future. The Bible says nobody hopes for what they already have, so it's something that's going to happen in the future. Okay, and to hope, or the verb, is the desiring of a specific or particular positive outcome in the future. Okay, so I'm hoping that this is going to happen and this is going to be the consequence. Okay, so I am hoping for this. So having hope means I just think that there's something better out there. And I believe every human being was designed by God for a certain environment, and this is not it. And so I think every single one of us recognizes that this world we live in is broken, that we're broken, that there must be something better out there, and we all are looking for it. But the Bible says, nobody looks to God on their own. But they had a hope. And so who's the they? Who do you think the they is? When I'm asking the question, we're talking about Jesus coming as the Messiah, who am I talking about? Nation of Israel. The Jews, God's chosen people. And, okay, so they're expecting something, and it's a positive outcome, and they had a particular expectation of what that specific thing would look like and what it would do for them. So we're going to look at that and understand why did they miss the Messiah when he came? And what is the consequence and then because I got taught in contenders that Tim when you're doing preaching you have to actually have an application so then we're going to talk about what does that mean to us today to remake Messiah in our own image okay So, here we are, and they are going along, and they are the chosen people of God. So, what was their history? Go clear back, right? This was the people. They were descendants of Abraham, descendants of Isaac, descendants that became the nation of Israel. And there were the twelve tribes, and they were in Egypt. Because they had gone there when Joseph came, and there was the famine, and so they stayed there, and they multiplied. They became this big thing, but they were being oppressed by Egypt. And so God, who said, you are my people, and I am setting you apart, not because of anything you've done, but because I chose you, and he miraculously delivered them out of Egypt with all the plagues, He made all the Egyptians give these people stuff on their way out the door, which makes no sense whatsoever. He parts a sea. He miraculously feeds them and gives them water and protects them and guides them with fire at night and a cloud during the day. And he goes through. and, and, And it's just amazing what God is doing for his chosen people. And then he's taking them eventually where? Into the promised land. Okay, so... In the Promised Land, we have all these other miraculous stories about how God intervenes to give them victory over their enemies and drives them out. In some places, he actually just kills them or he makes them kill themselves. And he he puts his people with these tiny little amount of army against these huge armies, and miraculously, God gives them victory. And so it's very clear to them. It's very plain. God loves us better because they're the chosen people. And so they understand that, and they start looking around, and God even tells them, when I send you into this promised land, I want you to have nothing to do with all these other people. In fact, I would like you to... We think, that's harsh. But nonetheless, God says, you are my people, and you have to be pure, and I'm not going to let these other people who have rejected me pollute you, and so I need you to just clean house. Well, they don't do anything right, ever, ever they grumbled in the in the in the world wandering around the wilderness they, they're always making mistakes but nonetheless they're still god's chosen people and so they finally get their own nation of israel and on they go and they're doing different things and they have prophets and they're bad sometimes and they're good sometimes but god always brings them back and then they become and they want a king right they become a kingdom and they get the kings and they go through their kings and they go from bad to worse, and then they have Saul, and then they have David, or Solomon, and then or David, and they have Solomon, right? And so after Solomon's reign is over, the kingdom splits to a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and then God judges the nation of Israel, uh, and he has... The Babylonians conquer the southern kingdom and take them into captivity, and he has the Persians come that that overthrow the Babylonians eventually and, and take the northern kingdom into captivity, and basically the nation of Israel is gone. But during the reign of King Cyrus, through the Persians, he allowed some of the Jews to come back. In fact, he created a decree, he gave them money, he sent them back all because of God's providence and God's sovereignty. And they rebuilt the temple and they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and they got it going. But in the end, the Persians are conquered by the Romans or by the Greeks and then the Greeks are conquered by the Romans. So at the time of Jesus, in his day, The nation of Israel has been in captivity a long time. They've been oppressed and abused by their captors, and they're waiting for Messiah. Messiah is not something unknown. I mean, they're in there. In fact... This is five pages of over a hundred prophecies talking about Messiah. The coming of Christ is one of the most prophesied and foretold events in the history of mankind. Let me just give you some. He will be a seed of Abraham. I won't give you the verses because it'll take too long. He will be of the tribe of Judah. He will be a descendant of Jacob. He will be a descendant of David. He will be the son of God. He will be born from the seed of a woman. Kings will come and present him gifts. He will be born of a virgin. He will be called Emmanuel. Children will be killed because of him. He will be born in Bethlehem. He will be called out of Egypt. He will come from the line of David directly. He will be a prophet. He will bless his people with peace. He will ascend into heaven and sit at the Father's right hand. He will be a priest. He will be a judge. He's eternal. He will have a ministry of miracles. He will be a light to the Gentiles. He will be king. He will have a triumphal entry on a donkey. He will be hated without cause. He will cause reproach to come upon himself. The Jews will reject him, but he will become the chief cornerstone. He will be ignored, ridiculed, and abused by his own people. His hands and feet will be pierced on and on and on and on. God had completely foretold the coming of Messiah. The question is, why did they miss it? when he came and the answer is actually two things one of which we're going to talk about next week and that is in order to enter the kingdom of god said jesus to nicodemus he must be born again the same reason the rest of the world doesn't come to jesus now because their eyes have been blinded by the prince of this world and until god opens their eyes to the truth of the gospel message There's going to be Christmas without Jesus for the rest of time. But let's look at God's people. Let's look at God's people. These are God's chosen people. Why did they miss the coming of Messiah? One thing, they were expecting the wrong thing. They were expecting the wrong outcome, and they were expecting the wrong person. Let me tell you then, Here they are, they've been in captivity all this time, and this is what they were expecting. King David 2.0. And their expectation for Messiah was he was going to come. And he was going to come in grandeur, and he was going to be this magnificent king and leader, and he was going to form an army, and God's army is going to overthrow the rebellion and rebel against Rome and throw off the shackles of the Roman Empire. And once again, God's theocracy would be established in the nation of Israel. The Messiah would would rule from Jerusalem, and the rest of the world would bow to God, recognize who He is. God would punish His enemies and reward those who were His, which just happened to be The Jews. What they were looking for was a Messiah for now. A Messiah that was going to fix their world right now, that was going to put them back on top where they belong, that was going to punish all of their enemies and restore them to the grandeur and the wonder of being God's chosen people. Was that the Jesus that came? No. No. In fact, Jesus comes and he comes to these nondescript parents and is born in this nondescript little town in these very, very humble circumstances. And he grows and he isn't really do much. I mean, until he gets to his ministry, we we read a few things in Scripture. But Scripture tells us there was nothing about him that we should be drawn to him. So he wasn't necessarily physically dominating like maybe King Saul. He wasn't even maybe, who knows, charismatic or just, you know, a great speaker or a great orator, and he certainly didn't go out and wow the crowds with his his speaking when he came. And he came to usher in the upside-down kingdom, the kingdom that says love your enemies, the kingdom that says if you want to be first, be last. He says if you want to be the greatest, be the servant of all. And even when he came and his disciples were saying, who is this guy? Okay, when are we going to form an army? And when are we going to throw out the Romans? Because they were looking for a Messiah for today. And so when the Messiah came, as much as God's word had illuminated the truth of what that would look like, and let's take a look. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with a great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And this is the one, this is the one, and I know Bob will appreciate this. In this passage right here in verse 11, For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. If you were a Jew and you heard that statement, that one sentence... It would describe to you exactly what to expect. He was born, which is the Greek word tikto, which means brought forth in the pains of birth. So, what would that tell them? Messiah would be a man. And then we see the word Savior, which is soter. In the Greek, which means the divine deliverer. Now, they were looking for that guy. They were looking for a divine... They were looking for someone appointed by God, like King David, who would come and deliver them today. So that would tell them something. But then it would say, the Christ, for born to this day, is on the city of David, is a Savior who is Christ. Now, the Christ is the word they've known all along. And it's the Greek word Christos. And it means the anointed Messiah. So we call Jesus, Jesus Christ, but it isn't really his name. It's a title. And it means anointed Messiah. And so Messiah, 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 they've been waiting for centuries for Messiah to come and put them back on top of the pecking order like they were supposed to be as God's chosen people. So they knew that, they knew he was coming. They knew he'd be a man. They knew he'd be a deliverer. They knew he'd be the Messiah. But they missed this part, Lord. Koryos, the supreme authority or God. So this was the God-man. And he had God's agenda. And they missed it because they didn't refer or know the truth of Scripture. Okay, keep that in mind, that's really important. Why did they miss Messiah when he came? Because, number one, they're sinful and broken, and they wanted something that would, where, where they could get a Messiah that would do their will, not God's will, that would save them for today, that, that would make their lives easier and put them back on top. That's the Messiah they wanted instead of the Messiah of Scripture, which said he would come and be the starving and humble servant who would die. And we see that, unfortunately, throughout Jesus' ministry, even with his disciples, they just didn't get it until he died and rose again. And so when he came, they were expecting something completely different, and so they rejected him. What do we usually do when we have unrealistic expectations that play out something different than what we thought? What's usually the outcome? It's usually not very good, is it? We get frustrated. We get angry. We deny what's going on because that, that doesn't, that's not what was supposed to happen. How many of you... Well, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say this. Um, you know, marriage is one of those things, and I, I, I've done premarital counseling with a number of people, and one of the things that I try to do in premarital counseling is, let's adjust your expectations. Because you're going to have some, and guess what? They're probably not going to be realistic, and when they don't happen the way you want, you're going to get angry, you're going to get frustrated, you're going to get bitter, you're, going to, you're probably going to be, you know, maybe withdraw or whatever. So let's adjust those things because when we have unfulfilled expectations or our expectations don't fit the reality of the situation, it's not good for us. And it wasn't good for them because their expectations were based on their sinful selfishness instead of the truth of the word of God so what was the cost to them because of that when Jesus came and they rejected messiah what was the cost cost them everything let me read you a scripture It's in 1 John chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah? That Jesus, this man named Jesus, this little baby named Jesus. Who is the liar? Anyone who says that Jesus, this Jesus, this one we're talking about, this one that was born of a virgin, this one that was... His parents were Mary and Joseph was born in Bethlehem. If you say this Jesus isn't Messiah you're a liar. And in fact, you're the Antichrist if you deny that Jesus is the Father or that Jesus is the Son of God, God the Father. So you're the Antichrist. And in verse uh, 223, it says this, no one who denies the Son has the Father either. And whoever confesses the Son has the Father. So what he's telling them is, hey, man, I don't care if you think you're the chosen people of God. If you reject Jesus as the Messiah, you don't have God either. So it cost them everything. Their very salvation. When Jesus came and they were expecting something completely different, they rejected him. Now, there were some who got it. We're going to look at that next week. But Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, Zechariah, Simeon, Anna, the shepherds, they got it. Why? Well, either an angel told them or the Holy Spirit gave gave them the message. That's going to be something you're going to need to think about next week. Why do some get it and some don't? But that's not the message for today. But nonetheless... Um, it cost them everything when they missed the truth of God's Jesus and started to create a Messiah in their own image that would do their will instead of the will of God. That's the tragedy of Christmas. And we see it happening everywhere. And we see a world that is missing the hope of the message of Christmas, which is that Jesus is the only way to be reconciled back to God. Now, I know Ron used to say this, and I'll say the same thing. <clears throat> Two things, really. One, I wish I could squeeze your head and get rid of everything notion that you had about Christmas, and let's just take Christmas, the Jesus part, and let's just put it in June 15th, where we can just keep Jesus separate from all the other Christmas stuff, so we can actually focus on why we're here, I can't do that, um, but two, you know, obviously as Christians, this is cool, and Christmas is fun, but the real hope of, of, of being a Christian is not Jesus the baby, but Jesus who died and was resurrected, and we celebrate that on Resurrection Day. But nonetheless, Christmas is the beginning of this process where God was going to redeem the world back to himself. And so it is important. And it it does give us hope. But the tragedy is that so many are still missing it. Okay. So that was the then. And creating a Messiah in their own image ended up resulting in their destruction. Both then and and in eternity, much like the ark when Noah came uh, and told them, get on the boat, because not only did they die physically, but if they were in rebellion to God, they're spending eternity separated from God. So here comes Jesus, this new Messiah, and he, in essence, is the ark, except there's unlimited amount of space in this one, and yet... The Bible tells us narrow is the path for those that are going to see it and broad is the way of destruction. And so the tragedy of Christmas is that the world is still missing it. We have the message of hope. You can't save anyone. But we can celebrate Jesus ourselves. We can put Jesus in our Christmas, the Jesus that is the true Messiah, the Jesus that is the hope of the entire world to be reconciled to God and have a future in eternity that's wonderful, beyond imagination, wonderful. Okay, hopefully all that makes sense to you. But then there's a warning, even for the people of God today, and this is what was really kind of resonating with me. Um, Where do we miss it? Where do we, as Christians and believers, miss it? How do we have, at times, a Messiah of our own making? Now, see, I believe, and this is again something that we'll probably be touching on in in the messages to come in the next few weeks. I believe God does the choosing. I believe you have to be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, says in Titus chapter 3 verses 4 through 7, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, He saved us. He saved us, not because of the works that we had done in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so I believe that that's necessary, that God, in order to save us, and if you are here and you are a follower of Christ, trust me, that happened. I believe you didn't choose God, He came after you, He opened your eyes to the message of the gospel, He made sure you heard it, and because of this washing and renewal, you came to believe in Christ. Okay, so I'm just going to know, well, I know, or I think I know, most of you, and, and, and I know most of you are followers of Christ. If you're not, you need to take care of that, it's the most important thing ever. And if there are people out there, if this is going out on the internet and you don't know Christ, if you're not a follower of Christ, yes, indeed... Accepting Christ as your Savior is the most important thing you can ever do. But I'm going to give you the the balance of what we're going to talk about this morning, which hopefully I'll wrap up before too long, to you, those of you that are believers in Christ, those of you that are followers in Christ, because sometimes we suffer the consequences of trying to make a Messiah that we want, even as believers, So which Messiah were we expecting? Which Messiah is it that we want to put back in Christmas? Because there's a Jesus of Scripture, and then there's the Jesus we want. So let me describe a few things, and I'm not going to ask you, of course, I won't, and I won't do it either, to raise your hand if you say, yeah, I struggle with this. But think about it. Are we looking for the Jesus who makes our life easy who say, hey, I became a Christian, and now my expectation, God, is that you make my road easy now. I'm accepting you, and I'm serving you, and, and I'm expecting this, that you're going to take these trials away, and, and you're going to smooth out my road in front of me, and you're going to remove all of these temptations so I quit being a knucklehead, and you're just going to fix me now completely right now. If that's the Jesus that you want to put back in Christmas, sorry, sorry. That's not this Jesus of Scripture. If you're looking for the Jesus that's going to make you healthy and wealthy and have a bunch of followers on Facebook, that's not the Jesus who saved you. But there are people out there in Christianity that are telling believers that that's the way it works, that just the Messiah came so you could be wealthy. The prosperity movement. And that you, if you just have enough faith, you can be well too. You can heal yourself or you can heal others. That's the Jesus we want. That's the Messiah that we want to create. The one that just gives us what we want when we want it. If that's the Jesus that's, that you're looking for, I'm sorry. The Jesus that, oh, I want the Jesus that makes sure that takes away all my illnesses and pain. That's just going to not let me really suffer a lot of tribulation. That's that's the Jesus that I got saved by. How many of you ever heard people say, well, my God would never allow this to happen. Well, my God would never allow this horrible disaster to occur. And I would say, you're absolutely right. Because you're serving the wrong God. But there's some other ones that are even a little trickier. If you want the Messiah that will just answer all your prayers the way you want, if you just pray them hard enough, if you just have enough faith, if you just get enough people to pray about it, well, then I just know I can get the outcome I want. It's easy to fall into. I mean, there's the scriptures that tell us, right? If we pray, that the, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And, you know, if you ask anything in my name, you can have it. But, but let, me, let me give you a hint. You do not want the Jesus Who does it your way? Sounds good. If I'm just righteous enough, if I just study enough, if I'm just obedient enough to God, then when I pray, He'll do what I want. By golly, I know He will. I just got to have enough faith. And that's called the word of faith movement, and it's absolutely wrong. So if you are worshiping or want that Jesus in your Christmas, good luck to you. How about this one? The Jesus that, man, if I just say it right enough if, I'm just good enough, if I'm just diligent enough, I can get people to be saved. If I just witness to them enough, if I just am there and make sure that they, I can, can be around them, my kids especially, if I can just control their environment, if I can just make sure they hear the Word of God every day, by golly, I'll get them saved and I'll keep them in there. If that's the, jo- the Jesus that you're serving, good luck with you that's not the Jesus of the Bible I wish it were true at times I wish I could just say God if I just do this if I just follow the pattern if I just be the righteous parent and person that you, then I can get people saved you're not the Holy Spirit neither am I but those are tempting and you think wow well, that's not a bad thing but in, indeed it is it is arrogance to say I am the Savior I am the Messiah and we're not Hopefully you didn't or aren't worshiping the Jesus that you think will forgive you without confession and repentance. Now, this is a difficult one. I mean, it tells us in there in 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and forgiving us our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Now, there's positional righteousness and then there's the, there's the, the, the big picture righteousness, right? We're positionally and then practically. So positionally, yes, you are righteous. Positionally, God forgave all your sins, past, present, and future, when you accepted Jesus Christ. You are not going to stand in front of God at the final judgment and have to give account for your sins because Jesus paid for them all. But in this life, on a practical basis, we need to be cleansed and confess our sins every day. So if you are hopefully looking for the Messiah that says, well, no, 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 the only thing that really mattered was, I'm saved. It doesn't matter how I live. That's the Jesus that I accepted. He just—he doesn't care. He knows Christianity is hard. He knows it's really hard to be good and live the Christian life and walk the Christian walk. He forgives me when I fall. That's okay. If that's the Jesus you're worshiping, I'm sorry. He also says, you're supposed to come to me with those sins, confess them, repent, and I will cleanse you on a day-to-day basis. Don't make the Jesus that says, it doesn't matter how you live because you're wrong. And there is a consequence. Then there's the Jesus that some people want, that Messiah that some people want that says, "I can just get forgiveness, but He doesn't ask me to be the Lord of my life. I'm What? Be the Lord that I have to give up everything for him?" No, no, I want the Jesus that just comes and says, "God loves you just the way you are, and I'll just save you." And oh, thank you. now stand in my life, will you? We create messiahs in our own image, and we miss it, even as Christians, much in the same way. Now, because of God's grace and his mercy and his love, I don't believe we can send our way out of our salvation. I don't think we're going to lose it. But what do we lose when we worship a messiah that isn't the messiah of the the Bible? You lose what's God's best for you. God gives us all these things. God gave us the truth of Scripture to tell us this Jesus, who he is, what he wants, and what he wants from us. And what he's doing for us. And if we aren't diligent to seek out that Jesus, we are not going to have in this life the things that God wants for us, his best, right now, right today. If you want joy, if you want fulfillment, if you want meaning and purpose, if you want an identity, if you want to feel secure, then you need to be worshiping the Jesus of Scripture, not the Jesus you want. And so how do we get there? How do we make sure that we are not inserting the Messiah we want? Well, He gave us the Word of God. Now, you don't have to know anything more than the basic gospel message to be saved. I I gave it to you early on. But then God says, if you want my best for your life, then you need to know what you can expect. And it has to line up with my truth. And so we need the Word of God. We need to study the Word of God. We need discernment from the Holy Spirit. We need to ask, God, show me who you are so that I can know the real you, worship the real you, follow the real you, obey the real you, not the Jesus that I created in my own mind. And we need to be in prayer, and we need to be obedient. And we need to put ourselves on the cross every day and say, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And we need humility. We need to worship the Messiah of the Bible, not of our own making. We need to put the real Jesus back in Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we are are grateful for all that it cost you to bring us to a point where we could see the truth. And we worship you and praise you. But Lord, help us to recognize the real you and worship that Christ. So we ask this and thank you in advance for what you're going to do in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.